Well, good morning. Welcome to the Sunday School Hour here at Long Hill Baptist Church in Trumbull, Connecticut. I'll open by saying praise God that he is the rock of ages. Uh, he's solid and steady and sure uh, and unchanging throughout the ages. Aren't you glad this morning that we have a God who is a rock, a solid foundation upon which to build a life? Uh, upon which to know hope, uh, upon which to grow. Praise God this morning that we can. I want to ask you this morning to turn to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. I want to do just a, a short Sunday school series that will look at Proverbs. We, we had been looking at both the Proverbs and Psalms on Sunday night, but I, I felt like the Lord would just have us to focus on the Psalms on Sunday night. So it's been a little while since we have visited the the proverbs uh, i'd like to do that uh here over the next two or three weeks and we'll pick it up really where we left off uh in the fall uh in proverbs chapter 21. now if you're on our email list this morning you received an email that just has a a simple one-page handout and it's really just uh the introduction to the lesson this morning if you don't have that that's fine uh you'll, you'll be okay but uh, i thought it would be helpful uh, to have the handout this morning. Uh, I want to begin um, by saying this. Sometimes when you read the Proverbs, uh, sometimes when you read the Proverbs, it can seem like the themes are a little bit all over the place, right? It, it, it seems like, oh, you know, there's a theme, then there's another theme, then there's another theme, and you keep reading, and it seems like some verses down in a given chapter, uh, you find the same thing, let me try that again, the same themes that you saw in the first place, and you wonder about the structure. Is this, is this chaotic? Uh, no, the Lord is not a God of chaos. He is a God of structure uh, and order. So what I want you to see this morning, if you have your hand out, if you don't, again, that's fine. I want you to understand that there is a very um, beautiful uh, and uh, evidently a very intentional poetic structure that the Lord has used that he has employed in many of the Proverbs. And we've seen the same idea in the Psalms. Uh, sometimes we see uh, this idea in the Psalms. So uh, in the handout, I, I write Proverbs 21 uses a so-called chiastic structure. You can impress your friends with that word later on today, chiasm or chiastic structure. This is a structure that introduces a number of related topics in order and then builds up to a central theme. Now, following the statement of a central truth or a central theme, the topics that you saw leading up to, generally the middle of the passage, are revisited, albeit in reverse order exactly in reverse order or roughly in reverse order, which is, I believe is what the Lord has done in this particular chapter. Uh, so if you look at the handout, if you have that, you see I've, I've color-coded. You'll have a theme A or a topic A, and then a second one, a topic B, uh, a topic or a theme C, and that all leads up to a central statement of truth. Sometimes uh, they'll call this a central axiom or statement of truth. In the handout, you see those same themes or topics then get revisited, albeit in reverse order. Now, you may wonder, why, why is this? Why, why has the Lord done this? And I think, honestly, 
um, we, we could just offer some theories this morning. Uh, it is a very beautiful poetic structure. Uh, that's, that's true, but it probably has more value than that. Um, this structure does serve to, serve to highlight a central truth. Everything leads into and points to a central statement of truth, that central axiom, uh, and then backs out of that. And both the trip in and the trip away serve to poetically highlight or underline that central truth. And so there's great value in this. Uh, the entire book of Job uses this structure uh, with everything narrowing down in the book to one central truth. That's sort of the grandest uh, version or example of this structure that we see here uh, in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 21. So I think that's, that's probably one of the most uh, significant reasons. Uh, the second thing is I think it just helps us to learn. I wrote, it facilitates learning. Uh, Zach knows that his dad for years has been uh, talking about the importance of review and review and review. When you're in school, you've got to get it down in your notes, that first class where it's given, but to really keep it in your brain over time, you've got to review it. You've got to see it more than once. Um, and so we have these central, not the central theme, but the, uh, the sub-themes or the supporting topics given once and then repeated later on in the chapter. Uh, I think the idea may be to help us learn. We see it once, a few minutes later we see uh, similar ideas again or related ideas again. So uh, these two purposes, it supports uh, kind of a, a focus on a central idea, but then the supportive ideas get um, addressed not once, but twice. The Lord made us, he made our minds, he knows us. Uh, he knows that really we need to hear things more than once. Most of us need to hear things more than once uh, and often in different ways before we really grasp it. So uh, that's, the, that's the idea here. Now, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell you kind of what the central idea here is, the implications, and then I'm gonna pray and we're gonna jump right into the proverb, the text of the scripture, because that's what matters most. Um, if you have your Bible open to Proverbs uh, 21, uh, Proverbs 21, if you look at verse 11, uh, everything seems to narrow down to the second part of verse 11. Uh, the whole verse says this, when the scorner is punished, uh, the simple is made wise. The idea there is that when uh, a foolish or wicked person is punished, uh, a smart person, a wise person will see that and be instructed by that. So that's true according to God's word and therefore it is true. Um, and then the second part of verse 11 is really what, what I believe the central truth is here. That central axiom is when the wise is instructed, when a wise person is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. Well, stop and think about that for a second. If you're in a class and there's a, an instructor who is instructing you or teaching you, a wise person will receive that instruction and he will be building up a body, a wealth of knowledge in his mind, or at least in his notes, right? Uh, sometimes it takes a while to get it into the mind. But a wise person, when he is instructed, uh, his, his mind's not floating out the window or thinking about lunch. That's hard, I know. Uh, but he is actively receiving the instruction so that his knowledge can be built up. 
Uh, you, don't, you don't pay for college and sit in classes just to sit there. Uh, you're there to learn, and of course that's true uh, in, whether it's elementary school or middle school or high school or graduate school or whatever it is. You're there to learn. Uh, and so you have to be actively involved in receiving the instruction so that your knowledge is, is built up. So everything in this chapter is related to that idea. Now, you'll, you're going to see here, and if you have your handout, you see there's about eight, I'm going to say this, there's at least eight specific areas, topics or sub-themes that the Lord deals with. So uh, the wise reader will have a heart to receive this instruction regarding godly living in those eight areas uh, so that he can be knowledgeable of what God desires and so that he can live practically according to God's words in those areas. Uh, so that's the idea, that's the structure of the chapter uh, and it's a structure that is not uncommon in both the Psalms and the Proverbs. Uh, but I want you just to be aware of this. When you're, when you're aware of this uh, very beautiful and purposeful structure, uh, the Proverbs and many of the Psalms, you, you can read them with a little more understanding and, and a little bit less of a, boy, is this just kind of a chaotic mishmash of stuff that's been thrown together? No, that's not God's nature. Again, he's, he's a God of structure and order, uh, and, and very much so once you appreciate exactly uh, what's happening here in terms of the structure. Now, with that said, I'm going to pray, uh, and we're going to jump in and, and see the text. That, that's the most important thing uh, this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you this morning, Lord. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that it is useful, it is profitable for doctrine, uh, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. And, and Lord, you've seen fit to instruct us in so many uh, beautiful and practical ways in your scripture. Lord, you're, the way you teach us reflects how you made us and what we need to learn uh, to gain a storehouse of knowledge in our hearts and minds that uh, the Holy Spirit can then use and implement in our lives uh, so that our lives will work and that they will bring you honor and glory. Lord, I thank you for the very practical instruction that we find in Proverbs. Lord, we need it. Uh, we need it. It's, it's a manual for godly living, and it's so very practical. Lord, I thank you. It's easy to understand. Not always easy to see these structural things that we've spoken about, but uh, I thank you that we can read and understand the Proverbs easily. I pray that uh, that would not prevent us from stopping to chew on them and to think about them. And, and Lord, to, to pray, help us to see what you would have us to see today. And Lord, help us to apply it in our lives just exactly uh, as you desire. Lord, help us to do that now. Help me as I uh, present this um, this text, your words, Lord. Uh, Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so go back and, and, and just see uh, chapter 21. That's where we are, verse 11 again. The second uh, half of verse 11. I'll call it 11b. Okay, it's 11b. When the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. That's the central axiom, uh, the central point uh, of the chapter, would seem to be uh, at least. Uh, and so everything that we see here this morning is going to relate to that. 
uh, every, every area that we see here, you want to kind of keep bringing it back to that idea. A wise person will receive this instruction and then have knowledge of God's will for how to live our life practically uh, in the eight or so, there may be more, but eight main practical areas that we find just in this one chapter uh, of Proverbs. So let's, let's just begin kind of building up that list here. And uh, I'm going to move fairly quickly this morning. There's, there's much more that could be said and uh, certainly a lot of cross-references that could be brought in this morning, but I want to make sure we get through this, this chapter, so I'm not going to belabor the points here this morning, but let's, um, let's, let's move ahead here. Number one, uh, and, and the beginning of each point will be the same, a wise person will receive instruction regarding, a wise person will receive instruction regarding, uh, we're going to say it this way, the Lord's sovereignty and omniscience. Uh, the fact that God is in control of all things and that he knows all things. Now, this is the one recurring theme in, in the, the chapter that maybe isn't practical. This is more doctrinal than practical. The chapter does begin and end with these doctrinal truths uh, about the Lord, and the more practical stuff is kind of sandwiched between uh, those two bookends. So look with me here at verse 1. We're in Proverbs 21 and verse 1. Uh, we see the sovereignty of God, the fact that he is in control. Uh, verse 1 says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. If I have something in my hand, it's in my control, uh, most, in most cases at least. You know, if I have a pencil in my hand, uh, I have control over the pencil to write the words that I intend to write. Uh, similarly, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Uh, the Lord is able to control the hearts of kings, of leaders. This is a great truth. It's, it's a literal truth. Um, there's no ruler that has ever ruled on this earth where the Lord has not had the control, a perfect control of his heart. Now, understand it does not always look that way, and certainly in our world today, it does not always appear that way. Very often, this truth is not evident in, in just our observation of rulers, uh, but it is true. It is true. Um, the Lord uh, is sovereign to move in the hearts of leaders. The, Lord's, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. So the Lord can turn a bend in a river exactly as he wants. And because he has control of the king's heart, he can turn that heart of the king whenever and to whatever he chooses uh, to do. Now, um, again, we're, we're looking for this uh, kind of recurring theme in the book. So that chiastic structure that we looked at, if I'm looking at the first part of the chapter, if this is a chiastic structure, I would expect to find something similar in theme uh, toward the end of the chapter. And sure enough, we do. If you look down at verse 30, uh, look down at verse 30, there is... Um, some teaching that is related to the fact that God is sovereign. He has absolute control. Uh, look at verse 30. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. There's no counsel against the Lord. There's nothing that can be said or done that will prevent God from being sovereign in every situation. There's no counsel. There's no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel uh, against the Lord. He will do what he chooses when he chooses. 
I understand he allows wicked people to do wicked things at times. Please don't forget, he has a purpose for that. Look at verse 31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, uh, but safety uh, is of the Lord. Uh, God's in control. Uh, armies will prepare their, their equipment and their forces, their, their troops, uh, but uh, the ultimate outcome of a battle is determined by the Lord. He is sovereign uh, in leaders' hearts and on the battlefield, and nothing can prevent that. Uh, you see this in, in first in verse 1, and then uh, reflecting the chiastic structure down at the end, you see the same idea repeated. So now when you read the, the Proverbs, you're going to be looking for this. You're going to be looking, if you see something in the beginning, you're going to expect to see it at the end. The next, the next theme you see a little bit down from the beginning, you're going to expect to see that a little bit up from the end, and so on and so forth. So uh, the Lord is sovereign. He's in control. Boy, what a great truth, Brother Ray, in a day like the one that we are living in now. We see so much um, what looks like chaos out there in the world. People literally rioting in the streets. Coronavirus uh, perhaps making a resurgence uh, in parts of the country. Uh, at least the numbers would imply that. Uh, we, we could run around afraid, scared, caught up in anxiety, not able to function, depressed and worried because of that. Well, that's not necessary. God is in control. He's sovereign, uh, and he does have his purposes, and nothing can prevent that. Nothing can prevent that. So this practical stuff, this is just terribly helpful uh, practical stuff. Uh, the second area kind of under this first theme, uh, so sovereignty may be letter A. Uh, letter B would be his omniscience, the fact that he knows all things. Uh, verse 2, you see, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth uh, the hearts. Verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth uh, the hearts. Um, you know, it's, it is a truth. We think we know what is right. You look out in the world, people are doing what they think uh, is right. Uh, people are advocating all sorts of wild things today. Uh, defunding or abolishing uh, local police departments uh, to people who perhaps have been wronged at times by a police department. That might make sense. That might seem right, but they're not thinking all the way through all the consequences of that. Uh, and, and so we need to keep in mind, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Whatever I do, whatever I think, naturally I tend to see that right in my eyes, but... Uh, but the Lord is the one who ponders, who weighs, who knows uh, the hearts of men. And ultimately, his standard of right and wrong uh, is, is, in fact, the right one. Uh, this idea of the way of a man uh, appears several times um, in, uh, throughout the, 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 the chapter. There we go, the chapter. If you look at verse 8, the way of a man is froward and strange, but as for the pure, uh, his work is right. Look at verse 16. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. The way of understanding, of course, would be um, a life that is characterized by faith in the Lord, knowledge of his words, understanding aided by the Spirit of God, and, and application of that understanding aided uh, by the Spirit of God. Uh, look at verse 29. A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright... 
he, the Lord, directeth his way. Uh, God, God directs our way. And uh, perhaps this is the verse that reflects what we see here uh, in verse 2. Uh, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. It's not always the case, but it seems to be the case. But down in verse 29, you see, for the upright, the Lord directeth his way. And boy, let's, let's keep that in mind. Naturally, uh, we have a tendency to make our own decisions about what is right and what is wrong. But once we understand that our hearts are desperately wicked and, uh, and really cannot know absolute right from absolute wrong without seeking the Lord and, and seeing how he defines those things in his words, if we'll yield ourselves to the Lord and his word, his word and his spirit, the Bible and the Holy Spirit work synergistically to direct our ways, uh, to direct our ways. So uh, praise God. God knows our hearts uh, and God will work through his word uh, according to the spirit of God uh, to direct our ways. Okay, so uh, this is the first big idea, the Lord's sovereignty and omniscience. Uh, a wise person will receive instruction regarding these things. Second big point, a wise person will receive instruction regarding uh, the fact that the Lord values doing right. Uh, the Lord values doing right. Uh, more, and, and you can get this also. Uh, he values that more than uh, uh, outward religious practices. You understand that um, the Lord is really not interested in people being outwardly religious. Uh, the Lord is interested in people having a right heart toward him and a right heart toward others, sort of vertical rightness and horizontal rightness, uh, and, and doing right toward the Lord and to others. Uh, the whole Old Testament system of sacrifices had a purpose. It had value um, in pointing to Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, however, uh, even then, the Lord attached more value to someone living right uh, with a heart submitted to God uh, more than carrying out those sacrifices. We'll see this in verse 3. Uh, to do justice or righteousness and judgment, uh, making right or just decisions, is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. See it again. To do justice... Uh, to live righteously uh, and judgment, making right or just decisions, is more acceptable. It's more valuable to the Lord uh, than sacrifices. I'll just say it again. Even when the Old Testament sacrificial system was up and running, uh, it was more valuable to the Lord. God had a greater interest in people living righteously according to his word, uh, being yielded to God and yielding themselves to live according to his word, then he cared for the sacrifices that pointed to Christ. That's, that's a pretty profound statement. Uh, that's maybe surprising, uh, and yet this is what the Bible says. Uh, this, is, this is what the Bible says. Um, we have other verses that deal with this idea of sacrifice. Verse 27, so down at the bottom, a little bit up from the bottom now, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more then when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? So uh, we understand that these are related ideas. Uh, look, down at, um, look down at verse 15. Look down at verse 15. So in verse 3, we have the idea the Lord values 
justice or righteousness and judgment. I think the idea here is um, living justly and making, having a, a, a right idea about God's righteousness, having a, a righteousness and then a life that reflects that, uh, making decisions about living that reflect God's righteousness. We'll look at verse 27. Here's, here's kind of that idea mirrored. I should say verse 15, forgive me. Verse 15, look at verse 15. It is a joy to the just to do judgment. Uh, it is a joy to the righteous to make righteous decisions. But destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. What's pictured there is uh, a blessing for doing what verse 3 teaches, uh, to do justice and judgment, uh, to be righteous and to make righteous decisions. It's a joy. There's joy uh, that comes with righteous living. Uh, and, of course, that joy, we know from the New Testament, is a blessing from the Lord as we yield to the Lord and, 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 and live just, justly or righteously, uh, make righteous decisions. Uh, you're able to judge what is righteous and to live righteously because of the Lord and his words. The Lord blesses us with joy. That's a fruit of the Spirit. We yield, we live correctly in his power, not our own. He blesses us with joy. By the way, if you don't do that, you can't reasonably expect to be blessed with joy. Uh, if, if, if you have no heart to yield yourself to the Lord, you can't reasonably expect God to bless you with joy. Now, he may graciously bless you or mercifully bless you with a degree of that at times, but you're going to know the greatest joy in your walk with the Lord as you yield, uh, as you learn what is righteous from him and allow that to define what is just or righteous and then make practical decisions about how you live your life according to that. He blesses with joy. Uh, but, verse 15, destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Uh, there's, no, there's no blessing uh, for uh, doing the opposite. And ultimately, the unrepentant, the, the worker of iniquity, the sinner who does not come to Christ, uh, will know nothing but destruction. Remember, the Bible word destruction doesn't mean that your existence is, is, is quashed or, uh, or, or put out, but rather... Uh, it refers to a, a, a separation, uh, a separation from goodness, a separation from joy. And of course, that's what people will know in hell, separation from the Lord, a separation from joy. Uh, this would be the idea here. So uh, this is number two, wise person will receive instruction regarding the fact the Lord values uh, doing justice and judgment more than sacrifices. He he values people who will seek knowledge of what is righteous in his eyes through his word uh, and make just judgments, uh, righteous decisions about how to live our lives. Boy, what, a, what an important truth this is. I'll share a cross-reference with you. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but get this down. Uh, Mark 12 and verse 33. Mark 12 and verse 33 uh, Jesus teaching there about what the Lord values, what he desires. He, he values and desires uh, loving him with all the heart uh, and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself. Uh, it's, this is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the, this idea is, is very definitely carried into the New Testament by Christ himself. 
the Lord desires uh, knowledge of righteousness and, and decisions to live rightly according to his word more than he values all of the religious stuff that you might do. And, and I know you understand what I mean. Let's move on. Number three. Number three. Wise person will receive instruction regarding pride. Uh, a wise person will receive instruction regarding pride uh, and specifically the, both the sinfulness of pride and the destructiveness of pride in our lives. Look at verse 4. Uh, and high look uh, and a proud heart uh, and the plowing of the wicked uh, is sin. That's sin. Sometimes people say, how do you know what's sin? We look at the Bible, see what God says is sin. A high look, picture someone who's kind of uh, up on their, on their toes, looking down their nose at someone else. I'm better than you. I'm up here, you're down there. I'm looking down my nose at you. You know what? <laughs> all people are equal, amen? Uh, God's made us all uh, very much equal in his eyes in terms of value. I understand we have different abilities uh, and different talents, uh, and those don't always seem to be equal in every way. That, I understand that. That's, that's fine. God has his purposes in terms of how he distributes abilities and talents and so forth. Everybody gets a spiritual gift, though, that has equal uh, value. Don't forget that. Um, but we, we, in God's eyes, it, uh, we, we, our very being uh, has equal value person to person. Uh, and high look and a proud heart. Uh, don't forget that a proud heart is what causes people to act proudly. We're not using proud in any kind of positive sense. Parents are proud of their children. Uh, I understand that. No, this is a haughty, I am better than you, therefore I will look down at you, lower person, uh, from my place of, of greater stature, because I'm better. No, that's sin. Uh, and it comes from a heart that is wrong. A proud heart will cause people to act proudly, which, by the way, is profoundly unloving. A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked uh, is, is sin. Uh, plowing, uh, picture a farmer plowing a field, uh, breaking it up, uh, breaking up the hard earth. Uh, the plowing of the wicked is, is sin. Uh, the wicked will seek to do harm to others very often to build themselves up. Uh, a field is plowed, it, 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 it's broken up. Now that could be for a, a good constructive purpose if you're a farmer. Uh, but if you're a wicked person who's looking to hurt, to break up, to plow up others in order to make himself feel better or look better, uh, that's sin. That's sin. It begins with the wrong heart, a heart that thinks I'm better than someone else uh, for whatever reason. Uh, a high luck and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Uh, sin, uh, pride is sin, and it very often leads us to be destructive, to act in a destructive manner uh, toward others. Well, given our chiastic structure, uh, aren't you glad you know what chiastic structure means now? Uh, you expect this to be mirrored down below. And sure enough, in verse 24, it is. This theme is revisited there. Uh, see verse 24. Proud and haughty, arrogant. Haughty is arrogance. Everybody loves an arrogant person, right? Uh, well, love them, but you don't, you don't have to like their arrogance. Love them anyway. Proud and haughty, arrogant. Scorner is his name, uh, who dealeth in proud wrath. 
uh, proud and haughty scorner is his name, uh, who dealeth in proud wrath. Listen, we can see in these two verses, we can see God's not interested in people being prideful. Uh, God's not interested in people being arrogant. It's sin, but it's also destructive. We saw back in verse 4 that uh, a prideful heart can cause you to be destructive uh, toward others, um, and it causes you to be wrathful, angry toward others with whom you really should not be angry. Listen, so much of the sinful anger that we deal with comes from, it, it begins, uh, it grows out of a seed of pride in our hearts. You, know, you get angry at someone, oh, you know, you're, I'm right and you're wrong. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Uh, and, and even if someone else is wrong, uh, we do better to humbly, graciously offer correction than a harsh, wrathful, often destructive correction uh, that's born in a prideful heart. Don't forget that. Uh, don't, don't forget that. Um, it's, it's, it's sin to correct from a prideful, wrathful heart. Uh, it's not sin to offer correction lovingly and graciously. In fact, fellow church members are commanded to do that. So uh, let's move on in the interest of time. Number four. Uh, number four, a wise person will receive instruction regarding uh, the blessing of diligence and hard work. Get that down, please. A wise person will receive instruction regarding the blessings of diligence and, and hard work. The Proverbs have much to say about diligence uh, compared to slothfulness. You understand the Lord has not put us here just to hang out and be slothful uh, and to wait for his return. We are called to be diligently serving him with the expectation that there will be a reward, that there will be a, I don't, not 100% comfortable with this, but a return on that investment, if you will, in a spiritual sense. Um, also, in a practical sense, uh, God has given us... It, the ability, typically, usually, to work, uh, and when we employ ourselves in, in work, whatever work we can do, uh, there's a return on that. God provides through work. I understand some people uh, have disabilities and, and can't, not talking about that, but the Bible has much to say about the importance of, of being diligent in doing the work that God has given us, both our secular work that provides for our uh, uh, physical needs, uh, and the service that we perform for the Lord, uh, which is part of our spiritual need. Look at verse 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. Someone who determines in their mind to work diligently will typically have plenty. Uh, but, but, so here's the contrast, of everyone that is hasty only to want, uh, only to want. Uh, diligence uh, tends to produce that that we need. Uh, the opposite of that tends to result in want. There's a couple of different related verses here. Look at verse 17. Uh, he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. So if, you're, if your life is being lived more for pleasure uh, than to work and serve, uh, your life is, is really not going to reflect uh, good things, and, and you're going to end up uh, wanting. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor. See, God, God provides, uh, he's promised to provide for our basic needs. But understand, you can misapply 
or misuse or waste his provision. Uh, if God provides a certain amount of income to meet your basic needs uh, and you spend that all on uh, entertainment or uh, things that are just not necessary, uh, you could end up wanting again. That's just a very practical truth. Uh, verse 25 says this, the desire of the slothful killeth him, uh, for his hands refuse to labor. He, co he coveteth greedily all the day long. So uh, slothfulness, an unwillingness to be uh, diligently working and serving. This is sinfulness. Uh, it tends to be um, something that people really struggle with at times. Listen, if you find yourself given over to slothfulness rather than diligence, uh, you need to confess that as sin and ask the Lord to help you develop uh, a greater diligence uh, in whatever work you have. Maybe it's schoolwork, you're a younger person. Uh, or, or secular work uh, in the workplace, or your service to the Lord. Uh, you, can have, you can approach those things with great diligence that is aided by God's grace, or with great slothfulness, which is sin. That needs to be confessed. Well, let's keep moving here. Now, big point number five, a wise person will receive instruction regarding the tongue. The tongue. Uh, see verse six. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. Uh, well, there's much that could be said. Uh, lying, of course, is a sin. Telling mistruths or withholding a truth so that people think something that is not true is true. Um, all of that's sin. Dishonesty and deceitfulness is sin. These are tools of the devil. Uh, they're terrible sins. Uh, the getting of treasure by a lying tongue is vanity. Uh, lying to get what you need has, has no permanent useful effect. God does not bless that. You may, you may get something from lying uh, for a short time, but ultimately that will not be the case. You ultimately lose. Look at verse 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Uh, Lord, help me to control my tongue. God blesses that by keeping us from troubles. Uh, Lord, help me to not be a deceiver or a liar in any way, shape, or form. God, control my tongue, please. Uh, verse 28, verse 28, a false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. Um, there's no blessings in store for liars, uh, but the man, the man who is more inclined to hear than to speak lies is blessed. Lord, help us to control our tongues. Number six, a wise person will receive instruction regarding stealing and giving. Uh, in various places throughout the Psalms, uh, there's, there's pictures of, of people who stole, hopefully before they knew the Lord, people who come to the Lord and, and now have a heart to give. Those who stole come to the Lord, understand the sinfulness of that, uh, are remade by the Spirit of God and, and now have a heart to give, and God values that. Verse 7, the robbery of the wicked shall destroy them. It's not robbing the wicked, it's, it's robbery performed by the wicked. The robbery of or performed by the wicked shall destroy them because they refuse to do judgment, because they refuse to do judgment. 
Uh, look down at verse 25. I think we saw this already. The, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. The next verse, verse 26, says, He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth. The righteous giveth and spareth not. Uh, God, of course, desires that his people be in the business of giving to others. That's one practical way that we demonstrate love to others. Remember, we're called to love the Lord and to love others. And one way that we can demonstrate love to others righteously uh, is to lovingly give to help meet their needs. Of course, we, we have a, a way to do that in church. You, as you become aware of needs outside of church and, and God gives you opportunity to help, do that. Uh, do that. Uh, number seven. Number seven, a wise man will receive instruction regarding uh, a godly wife or, or woman, as she is called here. Uh, a wise man will receive instruction, biblical instruction, regarding a godly wife. I'll give you the two verses real quick here. Verse nine, uh, it's better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Uh, you understand. Verse 19, the mirrored uh, verse. Uh, it is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious uh, and an angry woman. So the wife should seek to not be a contentious and angry wife. Uh, and, you know, when you're selecting a wife, men, this is something to consider, uh, something to consider. Uh, Lord, help us to be uh, loving uh, and not contentious and angry. Help us to be merciful and gracious, not contentious and angry. Much more could be said, but let's move on. Uh, number eight, and we're done. Uh, a wise person will receive instruction regarding uh, biblical teaching. Um, well, just say this, the wicked and the wise. A wise person will receive instruction regarding wickedness and wisdom. What does God consider to be wisdom? What does God consider to be wickedness. Uh, see first, the wicked desire evil. They desire evil. Verse 10, the soul of the wicked desireth evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. They care more about themselves than others. Wicked people desire evil. They care more about themselves than about others. Um, see verse 11, when the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. Now, the second part, again, is our, our central truth here. When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. Uh, wicked people are punished. Uh, they may be punished this side of heaven uh, by the authorities uh, for their wickedness. But if they don't repent, ultimately, they'll suffer punishment in hell. Uh, praise God that they can repent. They can repent and be forgiven. Uh, see also... Uh, see also, uh, the wicked are punished, uh, but the wise are, are blessed. Uh, in verse 21, we see uh, the blessing of life and honor. Verse 21, he that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness and honor. Look back at verse 10, the soul of the wicked desireth evil. Uh, sin begets sin. Wickedness creates a desire for wickedness. And punishment is the result of that, verse 11. Verse 21, we see, I should, verse 21, yeah, verse 21, we see that he that followeth after righteousness is blessed. He findeth life, not wickedness, but righteousness and honor. The blessings of the righteous are also pictured in verse 22. 
A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casteth down the strength of, of the confidence thereof, victory over enemies. Verses 21 and verse 22 picture blessings for living wisely, which is living righteously as defined by the word of God. Well, we'll stop there this morning, but um, I encourage you to spend time in the Psalms. Well, I mean to say the Proverbs. I encourage you uh, to spend time in the Proverbs. You have a tool now to kind of understand why the themes may appear more than once and in different parts of a given chapter. You have the understanding that these chapters are very practical. They, they provide very practical principles, proverbs for living. They define wise, righteous living according to God's standard. They contrast that with unwise or foolish, wicked living. They show the blessings that come with righteousness uh, and the correction and punishment that is associated with wickedness. This matters. So I encourage you to spend time in the Proverbs. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you this morning that we can see the beauty and purpose of the structure of many of the Proverbs. Lord, thank you so much more for just the practical value of, of the Proverbs. Lord, this is a practical, easy to understand instruction book for righteous, godly living. We need it. And so I pray that you give us a hunger and thirst to spend time here. Lord, that you would satisfy us with knowledge of righteousness and wisdom and how to apply that in our lives as we spend time there. Father, I thank you for the time uh, that we've had in this chapter this morning. Uh, I pray that people not only remember the specific things that we've seen this morning, Lord, but the, just the idea of the structure and the, the, the purpose and value of it. Lord, I thank you this morning that your words are, are quick and powerful. I pray for people who may be convicted this morning as we spend time together in your word. Lord, I pray that when conviction comes that we would be quick to simply confess, Lord, I agree with you, I'm guilty in that area. That we would seek your grace to repent, to come about face, to turn in a different direction, to put off sin and to put on obedience. And Lord, to understand and be reminded that we need your grace, your strength to do that. Lord, I thank you this morning that your grace is sufficient. I love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.